Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen, your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting harvesting happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about toxic workplace culture, cultivating the courage to rise up. My guest today is Jamie Fiore Higgins. She worked as a managing director at Goldman Sachs, one of just 8% of Goldman employees to earn the managing director title. She was the highest ranking woman in her department. As an active member of the Women's Network Committee, Fiore Higgins spent her workdays running the trainee and internship programs, recruiting and managing top equity clients and $96 billion in stock. Living in New Jersey with her husband and four children, she works with teens to hone their leadership skills. College graduates as they enter the workforce, professionals navigating today's workforce, and those in midlife looking to reinvent themselves. She's also the author of Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is a pleasure to jump into this topic because I think we would all like to believe that in this day and age, A, misogyny didn't exist. Income parity was reached in the corporate environments. And we were all sort of gender and color blind or neutral or agnostic when it comes to dealing with our colleagues. And sadly, this is not the case. It is not. Ironically, when I was looking to publish my book, some naysayers said, well, certainly that was then, this is now. You know, you left before me too, before George Floyd. And my gut said this was still alive and well, this culture of exclusion But once I wrote the book, I heard from hundreds of people, now over a thousand people, individual messages, telling me their stories, showing me that this culture is alive and well. Let's talk a little bit about your history in terms of the familial expectations that you felt or were placed upon you as you entered the workforce versus your own desires that led you down the Goldman path or up the Goldman ladder. Yeah. When I was a senior going into my senior year in college, I took a personality test, one of those Myers-Briggs and um, different tests to determine what would be the right career. And all signs pointed to a helper healer role. 
and I wanted to be a social worker. I had had a childhood with a lot of medical issues. I had benefited from support of social workers and therapists. And to me, it was like I wanted to pay this forward. But my parents had other plans. And, you know, they were, you know, from an immigrant family from Italy, had really pulled themselves out of poverty in their childhood into the middle class. And their directive was every generation has to do better. And their view was that social work would be a step back financially. And I was told to get the best paying job possible in the best industry. And in the late 90s, when I graduated, that was Wall Street. I was disappointed, clearly, but I felt like I owed my family a lot. There was a lot of sacrifice to help me. I battled severe scoliosis, which I know is a common common ailment, but I had very a very uncommon case and spent my childhood at doctor's offices, surgeries, and I really felt I owed it to them to make them proud. So I went into my senior year with the goal of getting a job on Wall Street. And from what everyone said on campus, if you were going to work on Wall Street, you had to work at Goldman Sachs. So Jamie was going to the best of the best. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Yep. And I made it my mission. And 40 interviews later, four zero. Wow. I got the job. First of all, is that common to go through that many sets of interviews to get to Goldman Sachs? Yes. In fact, when I started interviewing, I had gotten a lot of job offers. And that's not to suggest that Jamie Fiore was so amazing. It was a very robust job market in the late 90s. And I would meet five people, four people, six people, and I would get these job offers. And at Goldman, it would keep going. And that was just the way it was. Um, I had interviewed then as an employee people, dozens of interviews, except if you were one of the must hires, which were the chosen ones, the partner sons and daughters, the sons and daughters of clients. They seemed to get in with just a handful. But for many of us, multiple dozen interviews is what it took to get a job there. So you arrive at Wall Street in the primo position 40 interviews yes. later. Yes. And what happens as you sort of walk through the pearly gates? Yeah. So I learned pretty early on that this was a different world. My undergraduate career was at a women's college. So you can imagine very feminist, a lot of equality, a lot of advocacy. Um, and I walked into this very different world. In fact, my first day, the gentleman who was running the program from the human resources department locked the door. And a couple people, a couple of my new colleagues who were a minute late were banging on the door and they weren't let in. And the gentleman uh, talked to all of us. There was about 150 of us and said, welcome to Goldman Sachs, home of the most paranoid and insecure people in the world. That's Oof. what it takes to put up with this environment. And those people were not let in until they got a signed note of apology from like their boss's boss's boss. So I learned very very early on that it was a very punitive environment. But yet I felt so lucky to be there because he also said it's harder to get a job at Goldman than it is to get into Harvard. And so there was part of that pride. I was making my family proud that although my gut said, gosh, this is a really tough environment, the pride I felt in achieving that goal of my parents kind of made me say, well, that's what it takes to be here. It's the best of the best. 
And I think there is something to that, to know that you could rise to the top in such a difficult environment. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, it sounds very cutthroat and at times spirit killing. A hundred percent. But yet it was almost this Jedi mind trick, even the 40 interviews, right? Most people would be 40 interviews. What's wrong with them? Well, they said, well, it's just that special to be here. That's how long it takes for us to really make sure you're special. With the punitive behavior, like locking the doors, our standards are so high. So they kind of twisted the kind of punitive, abusive behavior and making you feel like you were a chosen one. So lucky to be there. I felt like I was like Charlie Bucket from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I had that golden ticket. Yeah. And I felt so special. I didn't want to let it go. So it's amazing what you put up with when you feel like you're a chosen one. So you're in the thick of it. You're you're rising through the ranks. At what point did you realize this is a pretty expensive place emotionally to be? Yeah. Early on, it was clear that it was a pretty misogynistic environment, but I kind of put my head down and went to work. I was recognized for my math skills. I'm a wizard numbers. I was recognized for my ability to connect with clients. I'm a people person. But I, what I really realized was the reason why I was doing well is because I was really good at looking away and keeping my mouth shut because that's what it really took to be successful. And that eats away at you over time. And it was hard because at first you're making so much money. You're kind of saying, well, it's worth it. It's called work. It's not called play. But eventually when I almost lost my family and quite nearly lost myself over it, I finally decided it was time to walk away. But it took a very long time for me to realize that. And I would imagine that the choice to go was very, very difficult, right? Because we are a world that values power, money, position. Yes. And Goldman Sachs was very good at making me think I was nothing without them, nothing without their name, nothing without their money. You know, a lot of times when I see different Netflix specials on cults, there's a lot of similarities. So yes, there was power and money, which is obviously sexy, but also they really made you feel like the only reason why you were doing well was because of them, not you. So it was as if you were going to leave and never succeed again. They made me feel like all the things I was good at was because of them and not me. So I felt like a prisoner, which is crazy to think about now that I've kind of decompressed from that world. The sick, twisted truth was the door was never locked. I could have left whenever I wanted to, but they were just very good at keeping you hostage, making you feel like you would be nothing without them. Well, it's like the allegory of the cave. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. That's kind yeah. of what you're describing, right? That, that mm -hmm. the perception is that you're in the cave, you're looking out, but realizing that you're not locked in. But no. You no. become internal, imprisoned internally. Yeah. Yes. And I wasn't the only one. I'm sure you know? not. <laughs> and, I, and I've left a lot of people. I've been gone now, gosh, six, seven years. And there's still people there because they really don't feel like they can do anything else. They're like trapped. I have actually heard this from other Goldman employees. I have heard yeah. this. Yeah. Because that mantra... 
you know, it's funny. It's it's similar to um the Devil Wears Prada. Any girl in the world would want that job. Literally every day, it was you can only leave Goldman once, so yeah. you better be careful and make sure you leave for the right reasons. You could only leave Goldman once. You can never come back. People are lining outside the door for your job, so you better be careful about when and why you leave. And people would get scrappy to have your job. I mean, fist to cuffs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, the day I resigned, it was so shocking to them that I was leaving and not only leaving, but leaving just to take a sabbatical. But I'll tell you, it was like vultures swarming over my carcass of a career. You know, it was just like people all of a started jockeying position. I mean, they had been for years, but they smelled blood in the air and they were ready to pounce. It's definitely, definitely a cutthroat world there. I want to remind the listeners that you were managing top equity clients that we're talking about 96 billion with a B in stock. So you were really, as they say, high up the food chain. You yes. realize that it's kind of a false narrative or like an oasis. It's not really there. It's there, but it's not really there. The, the sustenance that makes a human feel whole is not being fed oh. in that environment. When you're not living in line with your values, it eats away at you. It just chips away at you. And listen, I, I knew from day one, this place wasn't aligned with my values, but you say, okay, but you're making a lot of money. I was supporting my family of origin. I was making them proud. For my family, I mean, I had reached a level that was just like unbelievable. And then I had my own family to support. And what I realized over time was I started utilizing coping mechanisms, dangerous ones, drugs, alcohol, just to almost anesthetize myself. Because, you know, most of my waking moment, I was acting completely counter to who I was and what I valued. I mean, this was the young woman who wanted to be a social worker and make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting that. And yeah. the language that you use to describe your experience, right, is that of somebody who's a very heart-centered person, very authentic really does intellectually understand the bigger picture. And then I go back to what you were mentioning about the cult, right? Where you abandon your, one abandons one's own values, surrenders that, right? And surrenders yes. critical thinking to the leader or leaders. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, you know, in some ways I did climb up this chain and I was, as a woman, pretty diverse to be that senior. But you know what, Lisa, I was parroting the men in the glass offices. I yeah. was literally just their mouthpiece. I wasn't bringing my true authentic self. No. I was hiding who I was and just trying to look and sound and be like them in order to succeed. So there might be some diversity amongst these ranks, but there's very little diversity of thought. Because if everyone's saying the same thing, and not bringing their own unique perspectives, there's no diversity. Well, truly. that is the cult-like behavior, which we see yeah. in many factions of society today. Not just at Goldman Sachs. Like we're not no, we're not no. banging on Goldman Sachs completely here. No, we're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, I would like to talk with you about the action that you took once you left, how it affected your family life, and then the narrative that you created as you recreated yourself. 
Okay. Let's take the break and then we'll come back to carry on the conversation with Jamie Fiore Higgins to learn more about Jamie and her book, Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. Please visit jamiefiorehiggins.com on Twitter at jfiorehiggins on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find her at Jamie Fiore Higgins. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that pause, let's talk about harvesting happy habits for self-improvement. In my humble experience, taking good care of my body and mind all help harvest greater happiness and create a contented life. And one of the simple pleasurable habits I enjoy is an effortless hair care routine. These actions pay off in a big way. Way offers a complete hair care solution that promotes fuller looking, healthier feeling, and happier hair for everyone. Fine, medium, or thick hair, Way has got you covered. For the past several months, I've made Way an integral part of my self-care routine for flat, limp, and dull hair. I'm seeing and feeling shinier and bouncier tresses. This makes me super happy. My newest favorite is Way's best-selling multitasking hair oil that smooths out the frizz, seals split ends, and keeps color from fading. Regardless of your hair type, Way's hair oil will rejuvenate your tresses to be healthier and more vibrant. Not to mention smell incredible like walking through your favorite perfume shop. Not sure of your hair type? Go to Way.com and take their hair quiz to find out which way works best for you. Way products will boost your hair care routine with ingredients that support thicker, shinier, beautiful looking locks. Get your fast fix for healthy looking hair. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and use code HH for 15% off any purchase. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, code HH. Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. Each day we have the intellectual freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable, regardless of external circumstance. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, urge them to seek professional support because good psychological health is vital in achieving a satisfying life. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for psychosocial educational resources to boost emotional and social intelligence. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness? Sharing is caring. Pay it forward by spreading the word to your tribe through social media. Find us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook and me at Lisa Kamen on Twitter. And we're back. But before we get back to it, I want to remind everyone that good hair days are always happy days. And one of the ways I get to have great hair days is with Nutrafol, the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement that's clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength. Did you know that nearly 50% of all women are or will be impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them like me, you're not alone and there is a solution that you can trust to deliver great results. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning from within. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole body health. In a clinical study, 86% of women experienced improved growth after six months of using Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements. Nutrafol has multiple formulas, including vegan. Each physician-formulated product is made with natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistent doses for reliable results that I have experienced firsthand. What I love most about Nutrafol's whole body approach to health is that in addition to thicker and stronger hair, 
the ingredients have stopped excessive shedding while helping improve my sleep, stress response, and those pesky menopause symptoms, including hot flashes. No matter your lifestyle or stage of life, Nutrafol is here to help improve your whole body health. Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for a personalized plan that targets better hair growth through a whole body health approach. Join me and millions of others who are celebrating great hair days with Nutrafol. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HARVESTING. Find out why over 4,000 hair care professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code HARVESTING. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HARVESTING. Now let's get back to it. And we're back, continuing the conversation with Jamie Fiore Higgins. We're talking about toxic workplace culture, cultivating the courage to rise up. Let's get back to it. Okay, Jamie, in the last segment, we we sort of went up until the point you were ready to leave. You tendered your resignation. You leave. And I can imagine that the letdown was pretty intense. What ensued after that? It was shockingly intense. So I left on my own. It was my choice. And I was depressed. Like I couldn't get out of bed depressed. At the time, I had four kids, seven and under, lots of stuff to do to keep me busy. And I couldn't get myself out of bed. And I was so fascinated by this, Lisa, because it's what I wanted. I knew that environment wasn't good for me. I knew I had to get out. Why was I so depressed? And I really realized how much I identified with my role of being a managing director of Goldman Sachs. I never bragged about it, but it's like, I knew it was like who I was. And I felt so lost. It was like being a managing director of Goldman Sachs tethered me to the earth. And now I was just like floating on the breeze. And so that I thought was really, really curious. And, you know, as time has gone on and I wrote the book and I spent a lot of time thinking about and processing it, I realized that the slippery slope I was on at Goldman was putting my whole identity into that one role. And that's never a healthy thing. Yeah. And I can imagine like what you say, four children under the age of seven, like as a managing director, you know how to manage stuff. You know how to like not only manage your colleagues at the office, but theoretically, right, manage and and have that household running like on all cylinders. And then when the identity where you attached your identity is gone, even those skills that that bled over or transferred over into your household, my guess is it threw the whole household into tizzy. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll never forget the first fall I was home. It was review season at Goldman. And I said to my husband, I think I need a review. And he's he's like, on what? I said, well, how am I doing? And he's like, how could I possibly quantify how you're doing as like being around with the kids. And, and for a split second, I thought my kids grades. And then I said, Oh my gosh, this is messed up. And again, I found myself tying myself too much to a role. Now the role is mother. How am I going to value myself as the role is mother based on their grades, based on how well they're behaved. And then that was the moment where I said, Jamie, You have to just be you. The role is you being a human in this world. 
My value is just being me, not a mother, not a spouse, not an employee at Goldman Sachs. And that was really my aha moment that I think is important for all humans, but especially women, because we have our roles, right? We are mothers, we are spouses, we are daughters, we are employees. And I realized it's a really slippery slope and I was going down the same rabbit hole. I was attaching myself as a managing director at Goldman. Now I was attaching myself as the mother to Abby, Beth, Luke, and Hannah. It's like, no, my role is Jamie Fiore Higgins, me as a human. Yeah. And getting very clear on what that meant and having my own identity away from any one person or relationship or company. And that's when I really started to build myself back up again. And it sounds like with that aha moment came the return to yourself. It's like realizing all of these strengths, these values that you held about wanting to connect with people, you know, improve in some small way your community and give back and that that is where your heart lies today. I realized that all the goodies that made me successful at Goldman Sachs, I didn't leave at the door of 200 West Street in New York. I brought home with me. And so now I realize those are my skills, my innate skills. And I can bring that now as a, to, to being a mother, to being a daughter, to being a spouse, to being a coach now. I can bring it to my personal relationships and my professional relationships. And that was really that was my aha moment. And that's what I really love to do in my work now. Many of my clients are women. And that's what I help them do, get very clear on who they are and what their personal mission statement is and allow them to have that healthy, healthy barrier between who they are and what they bring to all their different relationships. Because I think as women, it is so easy for us to melt into our different roles and forget who we are in them. I agree with you. And I think that ties into the need to please others. That as women, particularly of of certain generations, certainly the generation I was raised in, right? That the woman's role was to measure up in every capacity of life. That the good enough parent, the good enough spouse, the good enough professional was not what we were raised with. I mean, it's becoming more of a thing. Like it's okay to be just good enough in these areas. You give your best, but it's not all that you are. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's so important to remember who you are first. So even I'll tell my clients, you know, you might work for XYZ or you might volunteer for XYZ, but you're the CEO of you. Yes. Yes. I'm the CEO of Jamie (laughs) Fiore Enterprises, right? I bring myself to different clients different colleagues, different family members, but I'm always who I am. And I'm always checking in with myself because it's a slippery slope when the work doesn't align with who you are. I just know firsthand, you know, and it's so important to me now to remind my clients that, you know, you don't have to sacrifice who you are for what you do. You can be productive, you can make money, And you can still look at yourself in the mirror. It's possible. You just have to find the right role to do it. I I agree. And the other thing that comes to mind as you're speaking is about sort of the sales job. There is no sales job required when one is congruent, right? With one's actions and values. A hundred percent. I mean, when it's all in alignment, 
you know, when I think about the work I do now, I mean, it's so in alignment with what I believe and what I think it's important. It's just so easy. It's a pleasure. Now, listen, work is work, right? It's yes. not always going to be, you know, there's always an element of a grind to work. But in general, you know, when you could kind of look at it holistically and say, you know what? The vast majority of what I do is aligned with my personal mission statement, aligned with my values. It's just amazing what a much more fulfilling life career you can be, you know, you could have. And I mean, when I think of who I was, before I left to who I am now, I mean, my husband will joke and say, oh my gosh, if that happened and Goldman Jamie was around, woo! sometimes when, you know, we'll have a situation and my husband will say, oh my gosh, if Goldman Jamie were around when that happened, oh, it would have been such an issue. And now it's like, I'm a whole different person because I'm not fighting against the tide of who I am every day. Let's go back for a second to the effort it takes to do the work. And what you were saying about even when we're doing the work or the purpose of our lives, and it doesn't feel like work, but there's work, I liken it to a a hobby that somebody has, right? Like somebody who likes to ski, they get out on the slopes and they feel that they are having peak moments, but there's still work to prepare to go out on the slopes. You know, you still have to gear up. You still have to take care of your skis, keep them tuned, keep them waxed. It's not completely without work, right? So even the pleasure requires work. Absolutely. It's just a matter of what scale is tipping. What's the heavier side, right? What's the heavier side? And in my Goldman world, it was all work, you know, no fulfillment, no pleasure. Not only was there no fulfillment and pleasure, it was was chipping away at who I was because it was like eating away at me. And that's why it's so important that I think, you know, and you know what, it's not just your job, Lisa. Okay. Say, you know, listen, everyone has to work, but then make sure you have that fulfillment elsewhere. You know, like maybe your nine to five isn't completely lighting you on fire, but it's paying the bills and you need that. Well, what else can you do in your life? Yeah. You know, to me, it's not just your job. It's the scale of your life. Are you having more fulfillment and pleasure than work? And I think, you know, you can supplement that through personal relationships and hobbies and volunteerism. I agree. I want to just touch for a moment. We're nearly out of time for those who are working for a company, or maybe you are owning your own company and you're seeking to grow the culture or expand the culture of that company to be a more equitable, just friendly place. What would you suggest to somebody listening? I think sometimes people's views are kind of making waves. You know, oh, this is a big issue. I'm going to storm into HR. My philosophy is more make small ripples. You don't have to make big waves, make small ripples. And small ripples over time have an effect. So it's modeling the right behavior. It's having curiosity. You know, looking around, are there some people who don't participate as much as others. Ask why and care about the answer. You know, bringing people up, high tide rises all boats, right? Amen. (laughs) I think that's really important. I also think giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, we're at a really interesting time in our lives where a lot of people are working with Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, even maybe some olders, even maybe some, you know, beyond Gen X. What is that? Baby boomers. 
right? It's like, you know, be generous, be open-minded, give people the benefit of the doubt. If someone says something that you think is inappropriate, maybe they just don't know. Instead of getting all defensive, just say, hey, I know you said that. I don't think you meant it this way. You know, be a little bit of a lighter touch, be flexible. I think a lot of understanding is needed in our workplaces today because we're coming from such different perspectives. Yeah. Well, I think this is this is sound counsel and an inspiration to us to realize that no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what our work experiences are, there is no substitute for that authenticity that comes when we're living on purpose. And what I think your story describes to us is the the value of of following that path. Like you did it one way, you did it the way society told you you should do it, realized it wasn't workable, but without that experience, right? Without that part of your hero's journey in a certain sense, mm. you would have never gotten to the path that you're on now. No, absolutely not. And I think, you know, it's really, really important, you know, that we think of our lives as kind of this like one long trajectory of time. And when I was at Goldman, they made me feel like money was scarce and time was infinite, right? You can only make money anywhere else and, you know, just suck it up. In a few more years, you'll do this in a few more years. And when I left in my 40s, I said, oh my gosh, it's the opposite. You can make money anywhere. Yeah. We only have so much time. So I think it's really important that we view our time as a really, really important resource that we're really spending it meaningfully. You can make money anywhere, but you can't make more time. So I think it's really important when we look at our careers to make sure, you know, the time we're putting into it, we're getting enough out of it that it makes sense. Yeah. What's the ROI? On your time. On our time, on our energy. You know, that on our energy. Yeah. Jamie Fiore Higgins, thanks for joining me today. We're talking about Bully Market, my story of money and misogyny at Goldman Sachs. To learn more about Jamie and her work, please go to jamiefiorehiggins.com, on Twitter at jfiorehiggins, on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can find Jamie at jamiefiorehiggins. Jamie, thanks so much for spending part of your day with me. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest, Jamie Fiore Higgins, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Andrea Mengeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with Tokinet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. <laughs>